This morning we are going to be spending our time in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16. Ephesians 6, 16. Danny read for us the context of this verse starting at verse 10. And this uh, small section of Ephesians falls within the larger book of Ephesians at the end. And as you look at the book of Ephesians, it's broken down in two parts. Uh, if you remember from a year and a half, two years ago, we started in Ephesians 1 through 3 that are doctrinal statements. It's declarations of truth. It is not speaking about how you must live. It's speaking about what God has done, why salvation is true, what he has accomplished, his plans, his purposes, and what is coming. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, there is a shift that comes then proclaiming to us, because all that is true, this is how we ought to live. It says, therefore you ought to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Ephesians 1 through 3 tells us we are completely dependent upon God, dead in our sins and trespasses. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins and trespasses, caused us to be alive again in Christ that we might have salvation and unity, that he might forever be proclaimed and that his people would be made holy and blameless before him forever. But Ephesians 4 then starts dealing with the reality of our lives currently. The eternal truth of Ephesians 1 through 3 is not what we see on a day-to-day basis if we just think about our lives and what's in front of us. Uh, What we see is a, a world trapped in evil. Or you might say a world that is within the evil day. And so Ephesians 4 through 6 then goes to tell us how ought we to walk if Ephesians 1 through 3 are true. It instructs God's design of the church. It instructs us in faith and repentance. It instructs us how to live before others. It instructs us how to be husbands and wives, children, uh, citizens, uh, those who work, even in the most desperate situations of life, what if you found yourself as a slave and called as a Christian? Uh, what if you were one with power and authority that, as a master in the ancient world and called as a Christian, how ought you to live? And then as Danny said, after all of that truth in verse 10, he says, Finally, now be strong in the Lord. He's saying, knowing all that Christ has accomplished and knowing all that you are called to do, Because of that, be strong in what Christ has done. Stand firm in it. So I want to encourage you this morning, uh, it would be in your best interest to read Ephesians 1 through 6, because when he says finally, this isn't like, oh good, I can just get to the point of what's really important. He's saying because of all of that, because all of that is true, you need to remember this. Read with me starting at verse 10. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. And just a few weeks ago, we talked about the reality that that belt or Uh, The the literal translation would be to gird yourself up or to tighten yourself up, to get yourself ready, to have everything wrapped up in truth, a specific truth, the truth of God. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, uh, that you would rest in the righteousness of Christ, that your heart and your gut in the ancient world, your heart would be uh, the seat of logic, of thought, of affections. Your gut would be the seat of passions. We kind of say like the mind and the heart. We think of the heart as only passions. Uh, but in the ancient world, they would say more your, your heart is all of who you are spiritually. And your gut is kind of your, your impulse. And I don't know how wrong they were in that. A lot of times we say the same thing, like you feel it in your gut. There's an impulse. But he's saying the, the breastplate of righteousness covers all of who you are your affections, your desires, your unrighteousness because of your affections and desires are guarded and protected in Christ. So take up what He has given, the righteousness of Christ. And then last week we looked at, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, verse 15, 
uh, that there is a confidence believers have because the truth has been given to us and we can gird ourselves in the truth of what God has proclaimed. Because righteousness has been given to us by Christ, we stand uh, not in our own strength, not pushing out our own chest that we can do this, but resting in the righteousness of God. We have a confidence wherever we are in life because the gospel has solved our greatest problem. It has brought salvation. It has made things right. As all, war, all life could be seen as a war, uh, the fear of war is that it would end in death. And reality is for all mankind, you will die. Death will come. And you must be prepared for that. And Christians can live in peace knowing that death is not our defeat. Uh, death is our freedom in Christ. At death, we will meet judgment, but we will meet judgment standing in the righteousness of Christ, as Paul has illustrated it here, the breastplate of righteousness. So therefore, we can live in all of life, in all of times, in peace, knowing we are in peace with God, knowing that when the world is in chaos, uh, when it is not peaceful in our lives, we have peace that will be eternal. And in all of that, then we have in verse 16, in all circumstances... Or if you have the NASB or some other translations, it might say, uh, above all. And in all circumstances, I, I believe, would be a better translation. Above all might lead you to believe that this is more important. This section now, above all, more important than all the previous. Uh, but that's not what's stated. It's not said in that way. It said, and in all or together, all, all that I've thought a good way maybe to translate it for our modern time. People like to say this all the time, like all the feels or all the things, uh, which I think is like weird phrasing. I don't know. It's like when people start saying peoples and then all of a sudden it was okay. And I was like, I thought people told me it wasn't okay. Are you allowed to say peoples? I don't know how that works. And now people say like all the things. Oh, I want all the things. I'm like, well, that sounds like greed and selfishness to me. It's kind of strange. Uh, but maybe that's not what they mean. I don't know. But that's kind of what Paul is saying here. He's saying with all the things, all the things at all times, in all circumstance, all situations, always, these need to be with you. You take up these. Many theologians point out a, a slight difference in the wording in having put on the others and that this has been done, this is what's done in Christ, and then take up the shield, the sword, and the helmet. Uh, they make the distinction that a soldier will always wear a belt. He'll always have a breastplate. Uh, he has always got his feet covered. He's always ready to go. But it's in the midst of battle when he takes up his shield and his sword and, and firms on his helmet. I think that is true, but I also want to point out, he says multiple times that we need to do all of this. There are not certain parts that are more important than what's going on here. He says, take up the whole armor of God. Right? He doesn't say live in part of it, and then when you're in chaos, take up the other part. He says, take up the whole armor of God. He doesn't say, live in this and when necessary, but he says, do all to stand firm. And then here in verse 16, he says, in all circumstances or in all the things, take up the shield of faith. And so this shield of faith is what we're going to talk about this morning. As we've looked at the truth that was metaphored in a belt, as we've looked at Christ's righteousness that is used as a metaphor of a breastplate, as we've looked at the peace and the grace of the gospel that is metaphored as shoes for your feet, this morning we will look, if you are going to live in the evil age, knowing that Satan and demons and sin and evil, in one sense, reign in the world right now, you must take up faith. Metaphored as a shield. You must hold faith tightly. So let's pray that God would give grace that we might understand what is here uh, and not just know it and hear it, but apply it to our hearts and live it that we might stand firm in the evil day. So if you pray with me and then we will continue looking at verse 16 on the shield of faith. Father, we thank you for your grace and your faithfulness. Uh, we thank you for your word. I uh, thank you for uh, the clarity of your word, God. I thank you that you did not just give us memes, uh, that you did not just give us social media, that we could all express our own opinions. We could all tell one another how we feel. You did not leave us just together to stare at one another and to try to figure out all the things around us. 
but in grace as you created and declared who you are in all of creation, you have also left us with the word. Uh, You've also spoken to Adam and Eve and and you spoke uh, to the prophets and through the apostles uh, that you have been gracious and kind to us, Lord. Uh, that in your love for the Ephesians, you compelled Paul to write. You imprisoned him that he might have time to write to the churches. And you've cared for us as while this letter is not written to us, God, that you had it recorded for us. I pray, Lord, you would help us to hear it for what it is, your very word. I pray that you would help us to hold fast. I pray that we would not uh, get lost by an analogy that seems more ancient or we would not get lost in our modern time that we think is more precious and more valuable. I pray that you would give grace that you might change our hearts in the way that you have changed brothers and sisters in Christ's hearts from the beginning, that you would care for your people uh, by your Spirit, through your Word, as we long to stand firm together in your grace. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Ephesians 16, or rather, there is no Ephesians 16. Ephesians 6, we'd be in this book forever if there was an Ephesians 16. Oh, thank God it's only the 6. We could always, or maybe you're like, hey, we should stay. Anyway, let's move on. Ephesians 6, verse 16. If you look with me one more time. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. Faith is the purpose here. The shield is a metaphor. It is trying to help us understand how faith is used in the Christian life as we seek to live in all the commands of Christ under the grace and the gospel of Christ, all expressed in Ephesians. We do so by faith. And the shield of faith is the metaphor here that we must live the Christian life in. We must do so not only because of our own sin, but we must do so because the world continues to exist in sin, and Satan and demons continue to live and to spread lies and sinfulness by whatever means they can, because Satan is a deceiving liar. And so we are warned, as you live in the evil day, as you seek to be a faithful husband or father, mother or wife, Christian citizen or church member, uh, worker or neighbor, a child, in the evil day, you must stand firm knowing that Satan is a liar and that God is mighty. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. You must know this and rest in it as we often would say, by faith. I think it's important as we think of something like faith, particularly in our time, we define it. Uh, So the first point on your handout is faith defined. Faith defined. Then we'll look next, as you can see on your handout, faith directed, faith defends, and faith displayed. So as we think of what does it mean to take up the shield of faith, What does it mean to hold up the shield of faith? First and foremost, we need to not think primarily about the shield, the metaphor of how faith protects us, but what faith is. If you're taking it up, you're not grabbing a shield. The the shield metaphor is helpful, and we'll get to it. But you're taking up faith. You're resting in faith. And faith is commonly discussed in our time. Hebrews chapter 11 defines it for us. We have a place in the Bible we can look to say, what is faith? It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Or faith is the confidence of things that there's a expectation of coming, right? So we use it commonly this way, right? We say, well, I have faith that's going to come about. What are you saying? I have a confidence that that situation is going to come about. So I have faith that's going to happen. That's what faith is. That's its very simple definition. It is generally how we use the word. It is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. So there is a conviction or an evidence, a declaration, like a witness given, that this, though it's not seen, is coming. And so when someone functions in faith, they're saying, I, I believe... Or you could, and it would be a better uh, understanding of the full word in the Greek, I believe or I trust or I depend that this is going to come about. 
when someone says, I have faith this is going to happen. It is a belief, a dependence, and a trust. Sometimes we think of faith as just belief, right? We think of faith in more of a noun sense of a body of things, a body of doctrine, a, a bunch of truth. So we go, well, oh, what's your faith? And, and what people mean by that, or used to mean by that, is uh, what is the body of truth you believe, right? What teaching do you follow? The Christian faith is the teaching of Scripture. But a Christian's faith is the complete dependence, the trust, the belief in God and what God has said, declared by the Scripture. And so faith, though it is often used in ways like, well, you just got to have faith, right? Just have faith. Just believe. Just trust. Just depend. Oh, well, I'm just a person of faith. Those, those thoughts and communication of our time are incomplete because faith has an object. You can't just have faith. Faith always has an object. In our society, I think it's very common to say, oh, I just have faith, or I'm just a person of faith, or I just do this. And what we mean is, I'm a person of self-reliance. I believe in myself. I believe that I can do this. I believe that I can make this happen. Or I have just a generic belief that what I want is going to come about. I'm a person of faith, or I have faith in this. We speak of it as though it has no object, and it's because we have become the object of our own faith. We believe we can do anything we put our mind to. We have put our faith in ourselves. As America, it's very common to talk about faith generically, right? Oh, we're people of faith. We can gather together because we all have faith. But faith always has an object. You believe in something. You trust in something. You depend on something. You believe in someone. You trust in someone. You depend on someone. Christian, you never just have a generic faith. Your faith is specific. It is faith in Christ. You just got to believe the question would be in what or who. You just got to trust in what or who. You just got to depend on what or in who. Faith always has an object. And it's not one of these things, it's all three. Faith is belief, it is trust and dependence. You could say, I believe in this, I believe in that chair, right? I believe it's there, I see it, it's obvious, the chair is there. But as many theologians have pointed out, I don't have faith in that chair if I'm not willing to sit in it. If I'm not willing to sit in it and lift my legs up and trust it will hold me. Faith is not simply belief, it is trust and dependence. It is to rest in it. And that is how the Bible defines it. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the confidence. It's saying these things are coming, so there is action in it. It is the conviction of things not seen. Faith is not just a matter of belief of I see it and I believe it. All mankind, whether they say it or not, believe there is a God because they see creation and they know by the very nature of creation, they came from somewhere. Something made this. And that something is not a something. It is the someone, God, the triune God. People by nature are always creatures of faith. You are always a creature of faith. You always believe things, you hear them, and you depend on them and you act on them, right? Our society right now is distracted with all kinds of chaos, uh, living in fear and anxiety of all kinds of things that are legitimately going on and things that are proclaimed to be going on or could be going on, things that could come about, things that might come about, things that are happening. We're fearful all over. And what are people looking for? They're looking for some source to put their faith in, to have confidence, to believe, to let it be their authority, to say, well, I'm doing this because of this. What's the problem? The problem is we're all creatures of faith. And we're seeking out to find our own current faith, your current dependence, your current trust, what's going to get you through the chaos of this earth. And you're trying to find the people you trust. 
You're looking for the authority. The book of Judges described it this way. He says that this was a time when everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Their faith was of themselves. They looked to try to find and justify what they wanted. And that's the state of the world. All people live by faith, by dependence on something, trust in something, hope of something else. Because we are creatures. And creatures live by faith. Maybe you only have faith in what you see, uh, which is a pretty shallow faith. Faith that can't get you very far. Uh, Faith can't do much than just where you're standing. A faith that can't deal with the reality of your coming death. Maybe you have taken up earthly authorities. You, You follow the gospel of experts. If you can find an expert that says it, if enough humans agree that they have done the right things to come to the right truth in this particular matter, then you say, well, that is trustworthy and reliable because a lot of people say it. And I'm not attacking one side of one thing. I'm saying this is the condition of the whole earth. We are all trying to find some authority to communicate to us to be our faith. And what we must recognize as Christians is the whole earth currently stands in an evil day. You must put your faith in something. And your faith should be rightly placed in Christ. In the Word of God. In the truth. Hebrews 3 uh, 11, sorry, 11.3 goes on to say, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. That as you look at creation, you know what's there. You know there is a God who made all of this, a God who is not like it, a God who exists in spirit, a God who spoke everything that is into being. And says, by faith, we believe this. And then Hebrews 11 goes on to give us multiple examples of people who lived by faith. And we'll return there in our last point as we look at faith displayed. But first, again, faith defined is to put your trust, your dependence, your belief on something or someone. And faith for a Christian, that someone is God. God who exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so Christians, as Hebrews 12 goes on to describe, says, therefore, since we are corrupt... Ready? Here we go. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely... And let us run the race with endurance set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Our faith has an object, and that object is Christ. It is rested in Christ. Your faith has an object, and it is Christ. The way the author of Hebrews describes it is not like Paul does. He says, therefore, since you have such great a cloud of witnesses, since there are so many believers who have depended upon Christ, and He has shown faithful, since there are so many surrounding you who rest and walk by faith, look to, not them, look to the author and perfecter of our faith. Look to Christ, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, paid for sin, gave you salvation, who has given you hope that you have peace in because of the gospel of truth, that the truth was accomplished in Christ because God had proclaimed it and He is faithful to do what He says, and because you are covered in the righteousness of Christ. Therefore, look to Christ. And it gives a description of who He is, the founder and perfecter of our faith. That should give us great comfort that our faith is rooted in something. It is not a generic belief that everything will turn out okay for no particular reason. It is a directed dependence, belief, and trust in Christ because He has accomplished what He promised He would, what God has planned from the beginning. And therefore, in Christ, we look to Him because He has been faithful in the cross. So number one, faith defined. Faith always needs an object. It is dependence, belief, and trust in something. And the question of faith is, what is your faith in? 
Well, if you are a Christian, it is in Christ. Your faith is in God. It is in His promises that He has proclaimed. Faith is directed. That faith is directed at Christ, point number two, and it is a gift to you. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, so that we should walk in them. It's important for us to look here because when we talk about faith and we say you got to take up faith, trust, dependence, you have to believe uh, that is true. But that trust in Christ, that dependence on God, that belief is not even yours. It's been given to you. If you notice in Ephesians, he says you must take up the shield of faith. And the shield of faith is part of what? The armor of God. This is not yours. This is not something you found within yourself. This isn't believing in yourself. This isn't a secret about what exists inside of you. This is the truth, that you were dead in your sins and trespasses, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, caused us to be born again. He caused your heart now to believe, to depend, to trust. And He says, why did He do that? By grace. For by grace you have been saved and what was the means which that came about? Faith given to you. He says this is the gift of God. It is not a result of works. It's not because you did so much Google research, you figured out that God is the trustworthy one. Right? It's not about you. It's not your ability to research. It's not your ability to understand things. It's not that you finally got yourself together and now you're a person of faith. It is a gift of God. He says, by faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. And we go, yeah, but I, I've done some of it, right? Because I live in faith. I have to depend. I have to believe. I have to do this. All true. But why do you have faith? He says, not a result of works. It's not what you've done. Yes, you live in faith. Yes, you believe. You depend. You take up the shield of faith. But it's a gift of God given to you. And he clarifies, it's not because you did a little bit. He says, it's not a result of works. Works has nothing to do with this. You've been given faith to work out. You didn't work yourself up to faith so that no one may boast. It's completely dependent upon God. He is declared righteous. And then who's the workman? He is. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Your faith is directed, but it has been directed by Him. You have been given a heart that no longer is dead in sin, but alive in Christ. No longer wants to look to the world to be satisfied by the pleasures and the powers of the world but wants to be satisfied in Christ. And Christian, though that is true of you, do you not find yourself tempted by the pleasures and the powers of the world? You know the truth. You've read Ephesians 1 through 3. You've sat under the teaching of it for what feels like forever. Right? You're blessed to have poured through it slowly. I didn't read it one Sunday and move on. You heard it piece by piece. We walked through the truth. I know many of you, you read it, you study it, you know it. And yet your heart, at times, it feels like there's some spark that just goes, why? Why am I pursuing this? Why does my heart want that? Why am I believing that? Why did I hear that? Or how did I ever go on thinking that? Why am I in such turmoil? Your faith was directed by Him. But remember, Jesus is the author. He has given you the faith. He's the founder of it. And He is the perfecter. He has given you that faith and He is perfecting it in you. It is why all the commands of Ephesians 6, 4 through 6 exist. The church is not to be a bunch of people that go, yeah, if people could just be like us, then the world would be a better place. That's not how the letters of Scripture are written. It doesn't say be an example to the world because you are blameless and holy in and of yourselves. No, it says you've been called to be blameless and holy in Christ. Therefore, you ought to walk in a manner worthy of that calling. He knows, husbands, you don't live in an understanding way. You need to be commanded. 
He knows wives that you don't naturally submit to your husband. He knows citizens you don't naturally submit to authorities. He knows children you don't naturally obey parents. Right? He knows these things about you. And he has written that you might know. And then he says, finally, that you know all of that. Don't forget your battle is not just to better yourself here every day. You are living on an earth that is ruled by Satan. You're living on an earth where Satan and sin exist. You're living in the evil day, the day where people are living in rebellion against God. So be aware, be thoughtful. Don't look around and think if the world could just be like me. Look around knowing, take up the whole armor of God, knowing I'm completely dependent upon Him. I have to wrap myself in truth. I have to trust in the righteousness of Christ. I have to remember the gospel and be ready for every situation. And I have to, in all of my life, live by faith. Complete dependence, trust, belief that His promises are true, no matter what circumstance comes about. Faith must be directed. It was directed to you, and you must direct it at Christ. You must live by faith. It is not your own gift. It is given not as a result of works, but it is given for you to live in as He works in you. Faith also defends. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-5. through it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you. This is what you're waiting for. He has done it. He has caused you to be born again. Because of His great mercy, He has made you His. You now have a living hope because Christ is risen from the dead and one day you will rise with Him. These are the truths of the Christian faith. Right? You don't need to just come here this morning and hear, you're a great person. Gosh darn it, people like you and you can do it this week. Go make something of yourself. Be loud, be proud, stand firm. No. You need to stand firm in Christ. You need to recognize that your salvation is by mercy and that He in love has caused you to be born again. You're not who you used to be. And you rest in Him. And you've been created in Him for good works and you are awaiting an inheritance that's nothing like you know. It is imperishable. No one dies. It is undefiled. There is no root of sin. There will be no time where we go, where does that come from? Why does it still exist? Why are things still evil? It will be gone. That is what we wait for. But look at verse 5. It says, He has done all this. And verse 5, Who by God's power, you who's waiting for all of this to come, You're waiting for eternity. You long for that to be. You have been given mercy and made alive in Christ. You feel like this is not where I belong. As Peter describes you, you're a sojourner in an exile. And he says, you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. What does your life look like right now? You are being guarded, not by your power, by God's power. How? Through faith given to you as a gift that you might trust and depend and lean completely on Him. And in all of His power, He is guarding you through that faith, through that dependence in the truth, not a generic faith, not an optimism, a rest in Jesus Christ and all He has done, that He has given you new life, that He has given you grace, that your hope is in eternity and you are guarded for that salvation through faith, dependence upon Him. He is your guard. He keeps you. You are kept by Him. By whose power are you guarded? By God. He is your shield. He is before you. The Psalms sing of it. Isaiah proclaims it. God is our shield. And here in Ephesians, knowing the reality of what's going on, as He guards you, He says, you need to take this up. You need to be aware of this. This needs to be what's in front of you. There is a battle going on. The war has been won, right? The war is over. 
by mercy and grace in Christ. If your hope is in Christ, you know and you can have assurance of the things your faith are in. You rest in Him. You depend and He works mightily. But you wait and are guarded through faith. Your faith is not dependent on your own willpower, though we should do, as Ephesians says, all we can to stand firm. It is dependent upon Him. It is a faith that defends us. And you might say, what does it defend us from if we're believers? What really could stand against us? Well, Satan, who is a liar and a schemer. It is not Christian, uh, your righteousness that is at risk. If your hope is in Christ, you are covered in the righteousness of Christ. Uh, You are living on the battlefield of the earth, but you're covered in Christ's righteousness. You have the gospel of peace where you can live in anywhere in life with hope. Uh, The reality of truth has girded up your life. That's where you rest. But as you forget that, or you become arrogant in that, you're putting yourself in grave danger, grave injury. You might, uh, as these are illustrations written to Christians, you might find this morning that you really didn't have faith in Christ, that you were a person of faith, but your hope wasn't really in Christ. You weren't really resting on the truth. You, you don't really depend on Him. You just kind of talk about Him as you live in all of the other things of the world because even though we are quickly moving to a world that hates any faith, we're still in a world, and particularly us in Menifee, if I put a cross on my car, an American flag, I wear boots and I spit and I'm angry, people are like, man, that guy's just like me. I remember pulling up at Costco and I had like an American flag shirt on and there was a Beamer in front of me uh, that didn't want to use the, the pump. So I pulled into that pump and I pulled the thing around the truck because it was my dad's truck. So I'm like, it's fine if it scratches it. This is an old beater truck. This is what it's for. I'm filling up the gas and this guy walks up to me. He's like, you're the kind of guy I want to go to war with. I'm like, because I have American flag boots on and a beard, I'm not trained. I know some dudes you might want to go to war with, but I ain't that guy. Like, but I didn't say that. I was just like, yep. Mm-hmm. Why? Because he looks and he goes, oh, that's, that guy's like me, right? He doesn't care about his truck. He bought his boots at Tractor Supply. His shirt has a flag and an eagle on it. And he hasn't shaved in years. God bless him. God bless this country. Why? I, like, clearly, I'm not fighting that stereotype, right? I'm not like, I don't want to be known for that. I'm fine with it. I'm fine to be known as a bearded dude with American flag boots and all these things and, and going on. But that's not what, that's what I wear. That's where I currently live. That's not what defines me. It's not what makes me. It's not what I live dependent upon. If somebody said, I'm not allowed to have my American flag boots anymore, I'd buy some camo ones or something else. I don't know. I'm not going to freak out like, you're taking away my personhood. No. And sometimes in America, we just shallowly look at such things, right? He assumed because my beard and my boots and my dad's truck, because I drive a Honda Accord, uh, but because of my dad's truck, they're like, we could go to war together. And I'm like, I wouldn't drive a Dodge Ram into war, buddy. I don't know. Christian, you can't just assume because you live here, because you decided to move to the burbs, because you're around people that value family and faith generically. But you're okay. Your faith and dependence must be in Christ. If it is not, you're putting yourself in grave danger. But Christian, it is not just the unbeliever or the make-believer that is in grave danger here. Right? He wrote this to believers. And so as you think of the faith and you think, those are the people I've got to reach in this valley. I've got to get to the make-believers. We're in a hard place because everybody thinks they're fine with God. Everybody thinks they love Jesus because they live in Menifee. It's what you do. Everybody thinks they're a Christian. We live in a funny part of California. But this letter is not written to people who think they're a Christian and aren't. It's written to people who are. It's written to people who completely rest their trust in Christ. And what is the warning? Take up the shield of faith for a reason with which you may extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Christian, you are living in a battle zone. Your current home is not a safe, cute suburb. It is a battle zone of sin and Satan and war. 
It is a place that proclaims to people prosperity and wealth and pleasure. It proclaims you can live and you can have it all and ignores the fact that you are all going to die. It says, don't worry about those problems. Just find peace now. You should just be peaceful and happy. What kind of life is it to always live in turmoil? Well, it's a life that knows it's going to die and doesn't know what's going to happen. If your hope is not in Christ, if you're not walking in the peace of the gospel, you should be afraid. But if you're walking in the peace of the gospel, you should also be aware you are walking through a battlefield. And so he says, take up the shield of faith, complete dependence, complete trust, complete belief on the gift that God has given you to rest in Christ, to let your heart say, when my heart wants something, I will obey what Christ said. When my children are misbehaving and my heart wants to scream all kinds of things and make all kinds of threats, I'm going to seek to discipline and instruct in love. When my husband seems out of control and unrespectable and unlovable and not doing what he's called, I'm going to seek to love him. Speaking in the third person for somebody else. I don't have a husband. And when my wife is not submissive, is not doing those things that I think she should be doing, I'm going to love her. When my employer doesn't seem like he's at my best interest, but just the company's best interest, and that bothers me I'm going to submit to him when everything around me seems like it's in chaos and I don't know what's going on I'm going to rest in the fact that though now for a little while if need be I will rejoice because God is working all things to the good of those who love him I will walk by faith what you cannot do Christian is say this is peacetime not war I can put down the shield of faith I've got the truth Christ's righteousness covers me My feet are secure. I don't need a shield. I could go walking through life. I don't need faith. I don't need belief and dependence. I know where I'm going to end. Let me just live how I want now. He says, no, Christian, take up the shield of faith. The shield that's described here uh, is not just generically shield. There's two kinds of Roman shields. There's a small one uh, that a guy would have on his arm while he has a sword in the other. This is talking about a shield that would be used in a Greek phalanx, which you're all familiar with. You think of them often. Maybe, no, not really. A phalanx. And so this shield is speaking of a shield that's about two feet wide and four feet high and that an army of soldiers would hold maybe individually to block things, but often together in a complete row. And they would meet in battle with those shields in front of them. And often in battle, just like now, what's the best thing you can do? You can discourage your enemy. You can cause them to scatter. You can cause fear. You can cause pain in such a way that you don't have to fight and you can just get them to flee. How do you do so? Well, in the ancient world, you would shoot arrows. It's range weapons. And so if there's an army across from you and an army here, you're going to shoot arrows. And what would make those arrows even more effective? Some war philosopher, some minister of war of some country at some time said, if we take these arrows and don't just shoot an arrow, but we light it on fire... Do you know what's scarier than an arrow? A flaming arrow. And so they would put some kind of pitch or tar on the end of an arrow with a cloth and they would dip it and right before they fire, they would light it and pull it back and that arrow would go flying. And the intention of that arrow is not to kill the whole army. It is to injure some, to maybe kill a few and to discourage all. And so they would stand with their shields in front of them, these particular shields made and covered in steel or in leather with the purpose of knowing flaming arrows are going to come because a wooden shield with a flaming arrow, you might not know a lot about wood, it burns, right? So if you're holding an old dry piece of wood in front of you to block an arrow, but that arrow is lit on fire, all you did was give some kindling to their attack. But these shields would have steel or metal of some kind, probably not steel by this point, not, no. Anyway, so or leather uh, with some kind of flame retardant on it to stop that. So he's saying, Christian, the war is won. While you are standing in the battle, darts are flying. Men are shooting with arrows or throwing by hand flaming darts. And you cannot just stand there and going, we won already. Who cares? Flaming arrows are, are flying. They're not going to kill you if you are in Christ, but they're there to injure you and discourage you. And do you know who dies? The guy that goes, we already won. Nobody's going to die and walks out. And then he's shot with all of them and he's dead. No, what does he say? 
He says, take up the shield. And I want to remind you again, he says, take up the shield of faith. And this is written to the church, not an individual. Much like the Greek phalanx, we are called to lock arms in the faith of Christ. We are not protected by our own shield alone, but the shield in front of us. And as we take up the shield of faith, we're not protected by our own faith. Christian, do you know in the church, the reality is he says, take up the faith. Take up that faith. He's saying it to all of us. Do you know what happens when you're standing next to someone and they go, do you see the darts flying? Do you see the flames going on? Did you see what happened to Ted? I am getting out of here. You go, no, stay here. Hold your shield. Don't be a fool. You start running backwards, you know what you're going to get done? Shot in the back with a flaming dart. Ted's dead. Stand next to me. Right? That is good, loving warfare. Again, contrary to the Costco guy's belief, I've never been in war. But if I was, that's what I'd tell them. Right? When Judah's saying, Dad, I'm out of here. No, you're not. Hold the shield and stand firm. We're not even going to war. We're just waiting on the battlefield for Christ to win. Don't go running off and get shot. That's the illustration he's using here. Christian, take up the shield. Stand together knowing that though the war is won, fiery darts are flying and they're seeking to tempt you, to discourage you, to cause you to flee. But stand firm. Stand firm in Christ. And praise God, he has not left you to do that alone. He has left you to do that together. The armor of God is not written as a metaphor so that you might say, good, now I know what I need. Now I walk into battle alone. No, you walk into battle together, standing firm in the faith of Christ, calling one another, caring for one another, not allowing one another to run and to flee without faith, but to stand firm. And you not only do this together, but you have grave, a great rather examples that are in the grave of this. Hebrews chapter 11, I would encourage you to read, uh, gives a running list of these believers. As you read Hebrews 11, you'll see Abel and Enoch who heard what God commanded and they depended on what he said by faith. You'll hear of Noah who was mocked and persecuted for his faith when everyone was calling him a fool and crazy, uh, probably the most persecuted man on earth because while many Christians said, Lord, I'm alone, Noah was. It was just him and his family persecuted by the world, but dependent and trusting in God. Abraham and Sarah, who not with full knowledge, didn't know all that God would do, trusted by faith and left a land they knew, dependent upon God and did what God commanded, leaving their homeland. Sarah, it says in chapter 11, verse 11, that Sarah herself received uh, the power to conceive when she was past the age because she considered him faithful who had promised. A few weeks ago, I was convicted that I say harsher things to men and softer things to women. And this morning, I feel like my, uh, or this week rather, uh, my conviction was eased a little bit because if you notice, God says Sarah was past the age, but he says Abraham in verse 12 was good as dead. Why? Because women should be spoken to politely. She's past the age of birth. Dude, you're good as dead. You know, there's no hope, Abraham. No, when she was past the age and he was good as dead, they gave birth to Isaac by faith. And what we see is as Abraham's faith grows, because as you read, you'll see that Sarah laughs and Abraham allows Sarah to get him to do this whole plan with Hagar. And, and they're questioning and they're not sure what's going on and what's happening. Their faith is being perfected. And as Abraham goes, not perfect, but perfected in many ways and sacrifice as willingly is going to sacrifice Isaac, knowing what by faith and dependence, he says he knew that even if necessary, God would raise him from the dead. His faith grew. How did all of this come about? Because what comes after 11. It says, having these witnesses, knowing what had gone on. And it says, there's more than I have time to tell you, which is also true this morning. There's more than I have time to, to tell you. There's Gideon and Barak. There's men sawn in half. There's those who lost everything. Those who were persecuted. Those like Moses who didn't count the current state better than following Christ, couldn't live in a lie, couldn't live in sin, but counted his eternal inheritance more worthy. 
And what do all of these do? They look forward to what would come. And what do you do? Hebrews 12, 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. As Jesus was in the garden and He said, Father, if there is any other way, And what does God say? But your will be done. Jesus acted in faith and dependence upon the Father. He says, I'm looking at the situation and and I'm wondering, is there a possible other way in a human sense? He says, but your will be done. Looking forward to the plan that was accomplished. Jesus had perfect faith. And Jesus is the author and perfecter of your faith. Christian, this morning, do not hear, I've got to have more faith. I've got to do this right. If I could just be like these other church people. No, you are to lock arms with them, all looking to who? Christ, because he is the perfecter of your faith. You didn't come here this morning to hear that you had perfect faith and now walk in that perfect faith. You're walking in a battleground and you're dependent upon him. Take up the shield together. Do not be distracted. Do not be deceived. Be the one who hears what God has said and say, it doesn't look right to me. It looks scary. It looks like horrible things are going to happen. But he said, hold the shield. So I'm holding it. He said, love your wife. So I'm loving her. He said, submit to your husband. So I'm submitting. He said, be kind to your enemies. So I'm going to be kind. Take up the shield of faith that you might not be hit with a flaming dart of temptation or distraction or discouragement. And know that you do so not based on your own strength. His shield is perfectly calibered for you to hold because He defends. Don't be distracted. Don't be deceived. Don't be defeated. Rest in Christ who is the author and perfecter of your faith. Father, we thank you for your grace. Uh, We thank you that you are a God who is good and faithful. And we thank you, Lord, as as we make plans and we purpose and and we long to accomplish things. Uh, We're just looking at situations and trying to figure out what's the best thing to do. Uh, We thank you, Father, that you, by grace, have given us all we need for life and godliness. I thank you, Father, you have given us your word. I pray you would help us to be those who depend upon it in all things. I pray when the world is declaring the distractions, when we see others in the world, we would not look to them, but we would look to you and rest in your faith like a Roman soldier taking up the shield that we might not be distracted, dismembered, or discouraged, but we might be dependent upon your grace. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.